get out those one-horse open sleighs. That's right, the Mixed Reviews resident Scrooge, Gavin, that's me, is still on the hunt for holiday movies I can actually get behind. So I'm inviting ghosts of podcasts past and podcasts yet to come to join me and present to me one of their favorite holiday movies. Who knows? Maybe I'll find one and my angel will finally get his wings. This is a The Mixed Reviews special presentation, Gavin's Holiday Gauntlet. This time we have a new voice on the show. Please welcome co-host of the podcast, Cast of Cthulhu, Jim Rohner. Woo! Yay! Hey, Jim! Hey! Oh, that's me. Hooray! Thank you for having me, Gavin. <laughs> no problem. I've been on uh, many of your podcasts, and mm-hmm. I've purposefully never invited you on mine. <laughs> uh, but I was desperate, and... <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that's that's uh, how I that's how I slither my way into many uh, a podcast guest host is like, hey guys, are you desperate? Because I'm available. <laughs> that's I mean that's literally my dating profile. So <laughs> desperate, I'm available. Um, Jim, thank you so much. I've actually I have been trying to get you on the show for a while. We've actually discussed a subject, mm. so maybe in 2022 we'll be seeing more of you on yeah. the show, um, which I'm excited about because you actually did pick a very good subject though a hard one and that episode will be challenging yeah that's that's a that's a a, an extensive uh filmography so absolutely but hey you know that's we set the show up because we love homework (laughs) we love it (laughs) absolutely but jim that's not why i've invited you here i've invited you here to talk about christmas movies and specifically one movie i've asked you to pick so why don't we give you a moment to tell everybody what movie you came on to talk about and maybe give a small plot synopsis yeah, so I have decided to go with a, a a movie that I love, but also fully admit is deeply flawed. Um, <laughs> but figured that would be more interesting to talk about than just sort of you know such such something such as a Muppet Christmas Carol or regular Carol uh, from Todd Haynes, which are you know kind of more more straightforward uh, classics. Um, I have gone with the 1988 Scrooged, um, written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue. Uh, directed by Richard Donner and starring Bill Murray. And the the uh, plot synopsis is pretty straightforward because it is a modern, or at least as modern as it was in 1988, uh, a modern adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Um, but um, Charles Dickens' immortal classic, although for some reason in the film they keep referring to it as Scrooge and not A Christmas Carol. Which is um, funny because in the end credits they have to credit A Christmas Carol. But. Yeah, and and the the only sense that I can make of it is speaking with Alonzo Duralde one time, I, I believe he's because like the 1955, I think, A Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim, like the alternate title is also Scrooge. So like, yeah, it, but also that wasn't Charles Dickens's anyway. Uh, but that's beside the point. But uh, Bill Murray is Francis Xavier Cross, uh, Frank Cross, and he is the president of IBC, a television network um, whose goal is a uh, will own Christmas. Basically, uh, he is responsible for. A whole load of um, Christmas programming generated to um, gather eyeballs and advertising dollars and all sorts of stuff so that he can um, basically become the the youngest, I guess, like CEO in television. He is the youngest president in television. Um, a, a When he was a child, he was raised by TV. So, of course, he, he is he is the quintessential Scrooge. He's he's wealthy, but he's solitary. He is abusive uh, verbally towards his Bob Cratchit grace, as played by uh, the wonderful Alfred Woodard. Um, and basically has to go on the the same journey that every Ebenezer Scrooge before him has come, in which he has to visit the three ghosts, the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, in order to um, complete his redemption arc and uh, and embrace Christmas and the people around him. Um, And 
my history with this one is a weird one because um, there were many movies and TV shows that I watched as a child, which I probably should not have. Um, <laughs> and and this is definitely one of them. This was there were three kind of Christmas movies that were on regular rotation in my house growing up, and still to this day that we quote ad nauseum to varying levels of of accuracy um but that was of course the christmas story which was always my my family's favorite one christmas eve we always have that one playing um national lampoon's vacation which was one that i wasn't allowed to watch like that was a kind of more one like oh well this is on get get the kids out of the room kind of a thing and then scrooged uh and i think it was just kind of because i have an older uh, I have two older brothers but the oldest one was seven years older so like if he was watching it we were kind of watching it we probably shouldn't have just because of a lot of the humor was either inappropriate for us or it went over our heads. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of why, I mean, especially uh, this one has a lot of uh, relies on a lot of humor, which is relevant to its day that kind of nowadays, like, wait, what? Like if an 18 or 20 year old to watch it, like who, who are the hell are the solid gold dancers? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, not even relevant at the time. The show had just yeah. been canceled and then they yeah. made the movie. So, but this one was always always stood out to me because it was funny. And, you know, A Christmas Carol, like, it is a great story. But it's also, it's always, with the exception of, you know, A Muppet Christmas Carol, basically, it's always kind of approached very seriously, very dramatically, almost kind of in a dour manner for the most part. And this one was blatantly comedic um, from the very beginning. And I guess we can just kind of get into it. But uh, it's also interesting because the two writers, Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, used to be Saturday Night Live writers. Michael O'Donohue was, I believe, the first or one of the first like head writers on SNL. Um, he is uh, kind of famous for when he took over as the head writer, he wrote on, on the uh, wall in the writer's room, he wrote Danger and saying, like, this is what the show has lacked, you know, for a while. Um, and so this they're apparently somewhere out there in the universe um, and if we believe in the 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 theory of a multi uh, of an infinite universe and that every possible existence does exist somewhere, there is a world where the hard R dark comedy version of this movie was made and released because that was allegedly the script that Mitch Glazer and Michael Don he wrote was a hard R dark comedy and that is not the movie that we've gotten. Um, I don't know exactly what is that the uh, factor of that. I know in order to get Bill Murray to sign on, he he demanded a lot of different rewrites. Yeah, him and Richard Donner famously did not get along while filming this. Uh, it was Bill Murray's kind of actual first like lead role. He had he had been in a bunch of high profile movies, including Ghostbusters, but kind of always as a as an ensemble basically. Yeah, that I think he'd done the Razor's Edge prior to this but that was kind of a failure mm -hmm. and and so like but also like not a fully like had enough people around him that he could but this like there are scenes in this where there is literally nobody for him to bounce off of except for one other person yeah yeah so it really does like it really like any christmas carol adaptation it sinks or swim on what kind of Ebenezer Scrooge the character is playing. And there's been, and I appreciate so many different ones. I mean, Michael Caine, who is my my favorite Ebenezer Scrooge of all yeah. time, uh, plays it completely straight in A Muppet Christmas Carol, which is great. And he kind of plays it as someone who was unaware of what, of kind of like the whole warmth and like kind of camaraderie thing that comes about with Christmas. George C. Scott kind of plays it as someone who is uncomfortable with like, warmth and love and kind of even after his redemption he's like not sure how to act around people and alistair sim plays it great as someone who's like even near the end he's wondering he wonders if he's even worthy of redemption like 
is this even something I deserve? Um, and Bill Murray's is one that kind of plays as, as a character who is kind of completely unaware of how people's actions affect other people, specifically how his actions uh, affect those around him. And, and is kind of made aware of that, not just through the standard stuff of like, oh, here's, here's what Grace is doing, or, you know, the Bob Cratchit character, or here's what people think of you, but also through the addition of um, uh, Elliot Loudermilk, a character played by Bobcat Goldthwait, <laughs> who you think is kind of going to be the Bob Cratchit character, but not really. He's just kind of a, a TV executive who has the gall to suggest something to Frank Cross and is fired on Christmas Eve, basically. Think I'm way off base here? Yes, you're, well, you're a tad off base, sir. Um, that thing looked like a, the Manson family Christmas special. Well, it's a little late to get this kind of feedback. That's because um, this is the first time I've ever seen it, sir. You're right. I sprung it on you. Well, it's, it's not that bad. It's just lose, like, um, you know, the part with the gun and the blood All right. and the guy um, shooting I, up. And then they, they... If I can change it, I'll let you know in five minutes. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. You know, in a lot of ways, I think we're a little bit late. Sir? Merry Christmas. Thanks for the talk. Thank you. We don't want to scare the dickens out of people. Merry Christmas, Miss Cooley. The dickens out of people. Nobody gets it. Grace, who is that guy? Elliot, Loudermilk. Okay. Call security, have them change his locks, clean out his desk, and toss him out of the building. Oh, he's fired? But it's Christmas. Thank you. Call accounting. Stop his bonus. His storyline its always struck me as like, I know he's in like a, like he's basically experiencing his own, you know, Michael Douglas falling down <laughs> movie yeah. outside of this film. And we're just not privy to it. But the whole, like he goes from like, he's a TV executive. Like he goes, <laughs> but somehow like he's literally like covered in dirt by the end of the movie when he shows up and like, like just totally lost it. And, and I was, I'm always just like, huh, his story arc uh, ramps up real quick. Yeah, <laughs> Within 24 hours, he goes from like a, a high ranking studio executive to having to sell his blood for like yeah. what, 20 bucks, maybe. And, like, and like, he's, you know, wandering the street with a bottle of booze. Like, how am I going to tell my wife? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so like, yeah, like, you know, he, he's doing that little, that jingle when he's, when he's stalking Frank Cross with the, the double barreled shotgun of just yes. like, you know, I lost my apartment and my wife left and took the daughter, like, really, just because you got fired, fired? on Christmas yeah. Eve? Like, um, and, and it's, it's one of the many things that just doesn't really work very well in this. Um, I, I also think that, um, there, there's a, one thing I think this movie does really well is play up a bit more of the effect that, um, Frank's like past romantic relationship um, with uh, with um, Karen, Karen Allen. Yeah, Karen Allen's the character, go- like, the glor- like gorgeous, but also like such a good actor, and I, one of those actors that like, I I mean I, I we could still see her more nowadays, but her like window, she should have been cast so many more times in yes, the like uh, in the like Hollywood window that that yeah. they give women. She's amazing. Anyways, I digress. But I love yeah. Karen. I oh, and genuinely always forget she's in this movie for some reason. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's it's a shame too. Yeah, because uh, you know a lot of Christmas Carol adaptations kind of touch on that. That Scrooge had had this love named Belle who he left in the past because he was more concerned with money than he was with her. 
And that they, this this you know adaptation really does have that in the sense of you know he was Frank was this low ranking TV guy who was playing frisbee the dog on this live action kid show and and she wanted to have Christmas dinner with friends and he wanted to instead have Christmas dinner with the boss so that he could climb the ladder so it has that but there also is an interesting change in that she they also bring her into the modern times and he tries to reconnect with her about halfway through the movie and just we kind of realize his arc isn't finished yet. He's still not the he's still not the kind of right person for her, even though she is working at a at a homeless outreach center, and she is this like the, you know the the quintessential definition of what the Scrooge character should aspire to be, and he gets lost in the wrong emotion. It's more just kind of like you know I love you as a person, and not so much like I love you what you are doing in this world kind of a thing, right? Um, and it's only then you know that that he does embrace the treacly parts of the Christmas movies, which I know you're not a huge fan of. It's only <laughs> when he it's truly true. does embrace those that it's kind of like, oh, I I know the kind of person I should be, and, and you know the kind of person that she has been this entire time. Yeah. Um. You know, because even when they break up, it's like she wanted to spend Christmas uh, Christmas dinner with like their friends. Like we've been planning this for months, and he's like, yo, but this opportunity just came up right now with my boss. We need to take this opportunity. Yeah. And he really does. He's a Scrooge that kind of sees people as just how to, you know, as just numbers, basically viewers and dollars and that kind of thing. And just as he's really dehumanizing, there's there's that moment where, you know, they make a joke where someone shows him a headline that like an old woman watching the promo that he made for their Scrooge live Christmas Eve spectacular show died of a heart attack. Yes. And, and, and his joke is, oh, who's that? She's pretty. Um, and really, but he just sees it as like, this is great. This is going to get us more attention. Like he's completely immune to the fact that there's a human factor on this, on the other side of it. And so, um, and so, yeah. And also I, I, you know, Bill Murray, like, uh, as a performer, I love, I think he does some great things just with his eyes in this when you just kind of see everyone he's talking to, he's so condescending to even his boss. We just kind of see him like, who the, like, what, what is this (laughs) idiot coming up with? Um, I, and I think it's and it really shows some some pretty sufficient dramatic chops as well, especially like near the end after he gets back from, you know, Christmas future. And he's kind of like, I need to embrace the right now is kind of actually kind of kind of admirable, to be honest with you, I think it's funny. Um, I was I was very excited you suggested this movie because this is a movie for some reason we've never had the opportunity to talk about. It's just no person that we've covered on the show before has ever really crossed the paths of anybody that's in this movie. Um, we did do a holiday musical episodes and my five star review of that episode was Muppets Christmas Carol because I do actually I agree with you. I think that's maybe one of the best versions of Christmas Carol mm-hmm. ever, which is funny because the book itself, the no- the novella uh, which started out basically as like, you know, uh, Char- Charles Dickens doing speaking tours and 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 reciting it to an audience, mm-hmm. and that's you know, he eventually sanded down the edges and made a novella out of it. Uh, the novella is quite dark, and I think a lot of people forget about the fact that the novella itself is not this sort of happy-go-lucky. And I think the interesting thing about this particular movie is outside of the the like musical version that came out in the 70s mm-hmm. this was the first like comedic at like big screen adaptation of this and so nobody thought it would work which is funny that i'm like my favorite version is a comedic adaptation but i think <laughs> that i think that's what muppets christmas carol does so well is it finds a way to balance both the like 
saccharine sweetness of the things that that are you know versus the the actual scary bits not so much scary because they're muppets but scary enough (laughs) for for little kids this movie when it's like i i much like you this was a staple holiday staple in the mevious household we would be on all the time during christmas and you know the the stuff with the like the marley character when he shows up and he is rotting and there's like a mouse that crawls out of his skull yeah and, mm. and like a golf oh, it, ball it's a i'm sorry it's lou hayward lou hayward yes, his old lou, boss in that yeah yeah the but that but that's the marley character you know yeah. that it's so gross and so yeah. and perfect i think and i and i think a lot of the ghost stuff works and that's i i do want to do sort of a pros and cons of the things that i think the movie pulls off and i think the ghosts are all oh yeah excellent i think mm-hmm. david johansson as the ghost of christmas <laughs> past which is bonkers because literally not really an actor you know musician mm-hmm. friend of bill murray's um tragically one of his band members in new york dolls saw him on screen and saw how well he was doing because they'd mm-hmm. broken up um and threw himself off a building after that oh, but God. survived Oh, <laughs> so lots of issues there um carol kane as the ghost of christmas present <laughs> and who's amazing you know just, mm. just bonkers off the wall and the the like giant puppet that is the ghost of christmas yet to come yeah. uh with all the terrifying like souls screaming inside of it i mean i love when he opens it up and he's like uh Oh, the, yeah. Who, who we're going to get phone calls. Yeah, we're going to get phone calls on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did our people do that? I think all that stuff is great. I actually think, you know, you talked about the problems with both Richard Donner and Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Murray was actually considering giving up acting at this point. You know, he'd done Ghostbusters and then Razor's Edge was a failure. He moved to Europe. And he hadn't acted in anything in, like, two years and was like, I may be done. And then the script came to him. And like you said, he demanded a lot of rewrites and a lot of reworking. But something about this, like, got him into mm-hmm. the game. He turned it down, actually, prior to this as well, too. But but he wanted to do this. And then, obviously, when this didn't work, Ghostbusters 2. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the all the talk of Richard Donner versus bill murray and who was in the right and who was in the wrong you know richard donner said bill murray's a great actor but you don't direct him what you do is you let him go off and you try and pull him back versus <laughs> all the stuff that bill murray has said over the years where he says richard donner doesn't understand comedy he just kept telling me to be louder and do everything louder maybe he's hard of hearing <laughs> i i tend to even though it seems kind of nuts side with bill murray on this one because there are moments where it is like he's just screaming he's not (laughs) he's not doing anything he's just Mm -hmm. yelling oh oh, christmas party i'm so glad i wore my pretty dress on the adams family what musical instrument did lurch play on on, on the adams family what musical instrument did lurch play i may be invisible but i'm not dead and i think maybe though in the end the true problem of this movie, even though he's also a strength of the movie, is Bill Murray himself. Mm. And I think part of it is is Bill Murray's shtick allows you to recognize that he is not a good person, but he's so charming. 
<laughs> and I think what doesn't work with a Scrooge type character with this Frank Cross type character is you no matter how awful he's being in this movie you like him yeah you mm-hmm. you always like him and mm-hmm. he is an absolute dick and so <laughs> yeah. the the joys you get of seeing him being tortured like the scene before the ghost of christmas past shows up when he's in the restaurant and he sees the way the waiter on fire has stuck with me for years but he's, <laughs> he looks across the room and sees a waiter on fire and nobody else sees it you know a glass Glass gets set down in front of him. He sees an eyeball floating and he <laughs> yeah. just screams and mm. everybody looks at him. Like you get a certain joy from watching that happen because you are watching somebody get their comeuppance. But at the same time, you're kind of like, yeah, but he's cool. So like, yeah, yeah. And there, it's, a, it's, it's a strange balance that doesn't fully work. And I think partially because of who Bill Murray is. So his, his arc when he gets to, the like oh hey i'm i'm a good guy now like doesn't it dev- it never feels satisfying because it's like sure maybe he is a good guy now but he's also still going to be a di- i mean he ruins that entire live performance he does and everybody's like oh so great it's so, so like, wonderful if, yeah if you were watching that at home most people don't know who the head of a tv network is mm. and so like if you were watching that at home and he showed up because I, I can't I can't even give a good example, because if I did, you would know who that person is and therefore it doesn't work. Like, I can't be like if Lorne <laughs> yeah. Michaels disrupted a Saturday Night Live, but you yeah. know who Lorne Michaels is. So yeah. but, but like this man, Frank Cross, when he disrupts this live broadcast, the audiences at home would be like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, no. And it, it's yeah. such a strange thing. Also, like, he has to have that moment, because if he doesn't, then the whole thing's a bust, you know? that There has to be the come around for Scrooge. It has to be public. It has to be, you know, the, the thing that gathers everybody to be like, he's not such a bad guy after all. Because that's yeah. the Christmas, you know, no, that's that, the that, Christmas spirit. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really it's a really good point. I, I'd never actually considered that before. That, like, yeah, you, you need you need to have your Scrooge almost as a, like, when we're introduced to him or we see him, we're like, oh, this guy is like completely almost almost entirely irredeemable. Yes. Um, and then it's it's his redemption, which is like, wow, okay, so anyone can change. Whereas in one of those opening scenes when he's talking to his boss about like the advertising to like for cats and dogs, like, yeah, this guy is an idiot. Like I'm I'm kind of with Frank Cross <laughs> on this. Um and 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 just yeah, and it's it's I I, I hope this doesn't come across as as cruel or anything but it also kind of seems like it, when we first meet him his his biggest crime is just he's kind of a sarcastic asshole yeah. instead of Scrooge, Scrooge who's sort of like I'm I'm going to evict like I'm going to evict like children on like Christmas Eve or whatever like you kind of like oh wow this guy like really doesn't care whereas Frank Cross just kind of like makes his secretary work late yeah um, and I mean well that's the other thing right is you know the, you're given all these evidence that that he is bad you know the the thing that he he doesn't know his assistant's personal life mm-hmm. which i think i i understand that's not a great thing because he's definitely not treating her as a person but also it's and i love alfred Woodard, but she's never presented as somebody who would come in and be like i'm gonna tell you all about my kid so yeah. so, so there's like a give and take there and i think the same the, the reason for the creation of the bobcat goldthwaite character elliot loudermilk 
is to be like, oh, he is a bad guy. He fired this guy on Christmas Eve. However, the movie then repeatedly invites you to laugh at Elliot Loudermilk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's like, well, wait a second. Who am I who am I with here? And that's I think that's why a lot of the other versions of a Christmas Carol are a little more successful because they're very good at ramping up the sympathy for the people who are victims of Scrooge and the yeah. victims of Frank Cross here. Besides, I don't know the woman who died from the promo he ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like don't, don't seem to, you know, that's the, the, when he visits, when he's visited by Carol Kane's ghost of Christmas present, the last person she leaves him with is a man that he meets at a homeless shelter who freezes to death, which mm. by the way, and I've never thought of this before until this time is implied. Oh, that happened because he visits his brother and, yeah. and like that happened and he, you know, he visited all these other. So when you see the homeless shelter in the end and that man is not there, this houseless mm. man, it's like, Oh, cause he froze to death and yeah. nobody mm -hmm. did anything to help him. And I get that the, the, the idea behind that is like general, general empathy is like, yeah. look, this is a person you met earlier today. This is somebody that you could help in this situation but also like that's in in the grand scheme of things and also i hope this doesn't make me sound like a terrible person that is somebody he just met that day like that is that is not that is not somebody he would have necessarily really affected the life of had mm. he not run into karen allen again having having said that i i really like that scene or at least that interaction um when he comes back uh to the actual present, I guess, after he gets smacked in the face with a toaster. Um, <laughs> also, brief tangent, it, it the ghost of Christmas present in all Christmas Carol adaptations is like the the jolliest, the most festive, like embodies yeah. the spirit. And and Carol Kane is certainly having a lot of fun, but like in no way is that ghost of Christmas present like the one that's sort of like, yay, jolly. She just beats the shit out of Frank Cross yeah. the entire time. She apparently, and this is a little like gossip from a 30-year-old movie. Uh, but she apparently would cry between takes because she had to be so physical and, and Bill Murray asked her to do those things to him. And she actually, when she pulls his lip, she his lip. tore his lip and he had to mm -hmm. go to the hospital. Uh, so she was like upset at the things she was doing on top of that. They'd also hired a dance double for her to do the like <laughs> ballet parts, but the costume designer saw her doing like the fake ballet and was like, this is much funnier <laughs> and told Richard Donner <laughs> yeah. and actually honestly get that costume designer a grant because yeah. that's, that's correct. Yeah, no, it's, it's hilarious that she basically just kind of like is, is continuously beating the shit out of Frank Cross. doesn't make a whole lot of sense though. In regards to no. like, how would this get him towards being a more kind and caring person? But anyway, but that scene when he finds Herman frozen to death, I like that scene because of how you see you start to see a shift in his character because at first he's kind of making jokes about it until he realizes like he's like you moron like why did you stay with Claire and he starts yes. like realizing like how other people can have a positive effect on other people's lives. Notice he doesn't say anything about him but he's like why didn't you stay with Claire? Yeah. And it's just that thing of like he he just doesn't understand like like he's he's having trouble grasping how this person could have gotten to this point. You moron. You jerk! Why didn't you stay at Claire's? Why didn't you stay with Claire? She would have taken care of you. You would have eaten. You would have been warm. 
You might be alive! You'd be a prettier color, I'll tell you that! Okay, is there a way to get out of here, Herman? Another scene that this film adds yeah. is the thing of like when he goes to the future, he also we revisit Claire and we see what she has become. Um, and how it mirrors like when he goes to see her at Operation Reach Out and he tells him like, you know, once again, he's upset because other people are getting in, in the way of what he wants to do. And he just tells him like, scrape him off, Claire, if you, you know, uh, you want to save someone, save yourself. Um, so when he's in the future and, you know, he sees how um, Grace's son has has been uh, confined to a, a hospital because of his, you know, because of uh, his inability to speak. And before he sees his own poor, like poorly um, attended uh, but very modernistic um, uh, funeral. Um, he visits Claire, and Claire is now a very wealthy person who is completely dismissive of the kind of people she used to take uh, that she used to take care of, and saying the same thing like, "You want to save someone, save yourself." Yeah. And then that's when he sees like, "Holy shit! Like, what my influence? What has it done to other people, especially to these people who are this this person who I cared about, who was very good, and who who cared about other people." I think that's a great addition to that because it's, it's not so much like um, it's not so much like here, you know, here's what people thought of you, but also like, here's the legacy that you have left as well in that you have poisoned or you have spoiled this, this true beacon of like light in the world. And that I think is a really, a really good addition. Um, And from what I understand in the initial script too, like one of the rewrites Bill Murray wanted was to, to play up the Karen Allen character more to play up that romance, which is a wonderful decision. Cause as you say, She's a great actress. Honestly, my favorite scene in the entire movie as an adult, I'm sure as a kid, I was like, whatever. But as an adult is a scene where they're celebrating Christmas in their apartment. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautifully played. And like you said, it's Bill Murray getting a chance to show off dramatic chops. And it, I, I love that. I love this tiny little moment that they just get to be people and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not even about the, you know, the magic of everything that's happening around them. Hey, hey. Well, when can we open these? You can open one on Christmas Eve. That's what we always did in my family. You have to wait until Christmas morning to open this. Isn't that what you did? Well, uh, if it were going to spoil, we opened it the night before. I do love the future stuff, though. You are right. And I think the the future stuff is actually some of my favorite stuff, too, because it's the most impressionistic. Because yeah. every other time period, it has to have that reality to it because they're visiting things that have actually happened. But I do like that when they go to the future, like you said, it's this very modernistic, very poorly mm. attended uh, funeral slash cremation like live cremation yeah <laughs> um <laughs> and you also get the the scene in the mental hospital but the the scene specifically karen allen's character when she's having lunch and she sees all these poor children and she's like uh get them away like i used to used to think mm. you know i could help them and it looks like shock treatment the rocky horror picture show <laughs> sequel she's in like pancake makeup with like a yep. giant it's very 80s like high 80s couture <laughs> uh, and i just love the look of that stuff because it is the most outlandish but also i you know it's trying to make him understand from his perspective yep. like oh this is what rich women look like you know or this is what a grand funeral would look like and and i do I do really appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, it, I think it was it was someone's tweet uh, a couple weeks ago that pointed this out that like there are legit horror elements in this movie. I mean, between Lou Hayward and you know the things that are beneath the ghost of Christmas Future, um, and just even like yeah that that staging and production design of of the future elements. Um, 
you see that's one of those things where you see like the hard r that existed at some point that like this is what they yeah. were talking about um and and i it, it wasn't even it wasn't even just the writers who said that danny elfman said when he was got involved in the first place that was a hard r movie mm-hmm. and he said that like that exists somewhere because that's the score he wrote for it but yeah. you know that's and i will admit that movie doesn't deserve a score that goes that hard. It is so, it is a very good Danny Elfman score. <laughs> yeah. And it, and whenever I watch the movie, I'm like, wow, this is some dark shit, but mm. not matching up with what I'm well, seeing. It, it's important to note the film did receive a single Oscar nomination. It was for best makeup, uh, which yes. rightfully so. Um, but yeah. And also uh, allegedly they shot so much stuff and you and I had, had kind of texted back and forth, like off mic about like, it'd be great if there was a special edition of this somewhere or even a version that had a director or like some type of commentary track to just kind of like talk about it because um, everyone associated with it kind of wants it kind of wants to like not talk about it or not be associated with it. And the reason we'll probably never get that special one is like, it's sure Christmas movies are, are insanely popular these days. I mean, hell I, you know, at, at my movie theater, like we were doing a special screening of Scrooge itself um, it was not as popular as the Elf screenings. It was not as popular as the screening of A Christmas Story. Uh, not even nearly as popular as, like, the Polar Express. So, like... Jesus yeah, Christ. Um, Talk about Christmas horror <laughs> movies. Anyways. Yeah, but, like... So, Christmas movies are kind of their own niche in the sense of, like, yes, they're insanely popular, but you don't break them out all year round. I mean, most people don't, what I mean. And so, even within that, this is, like, a niche within a niche in the sense of, like, this one... Like, even people that love Christmas movies, you're kind of like, have you ever seen Scrooge? Either be like... No, I haven't. They're just like, what are you talking about? Like, a lot of people yeah. even don't know about this one. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I hit upon also earlier, just like, it's a funny one. Like, there's also, there are some amazing jokes in this. One of my favorite is delivered in an exchange between the Ghost of Christmas Past and Frank. When the Ghost of Christmas Past says, face it, Frank, Garden Slug's got more out of life than you. And Frank says, name one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> such like... It's, but that's, I mean, that's the secret to Bill Murray. He's so quick and so charming about it. I mean, that's a, I just kept thinking that I was watching this movie. I was like, Peter Venkman is an asshole mm-hmm. in, in Ghostbusters, but he's so charming. You know, the, the, the whole, the famous exchange of, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> it's so funny, mm-hmm. but also you're like this disrespectful asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but but it, it makes it makes it hard to hate. And hey, you know, honestly, if that's someone's worst quality, is it's hard to hate them. I'm warning you, Frank. Don't waste your life as I did mine. Waste? How can you say that? You're a legend in this business. You're the man who invented the miniseries. Mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy, kindness—that should have been my business. Don't wait. Get yourself involved. Now it's too late for me, but it's not for you. You can be saved. You are going to be visited by three ghosts. Ooh, three ghosts. Three ghosts, Frank. Expect the first one tomorrow at noon. God, tomorrow's bad for me, Lou. As a matter of fact, the whole rest of the week is a wash-up. Ouch. Well, maybe we could have drinks, say, Thursday. You, me, the ghosts, Trader Vic's around this four. Is no like joke, Frank! This is your last chance! All right, I could squeeze you in for a breakfast. I think this is a perfectly good holiday movie and i do think you know the only thing that we didn't talk about that i think is another solid point is i i do think there's elements of this movie that are way ahead of its Mm. time you know nobody knew that that i mean i'm sure some people knew but normal people everyday people had no idea how 
sort of heartless the TV culture would become <laughs> and that sort of like everything is for ratings and and maybe we're seeing the other side of that now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're seeing the other side of that tunnel now, but for that period, I mean, there's that whole thing where he's like, there's this many cats at home and there's this many dogs at home. We need programming for them. That exists that's now. Yeah. That's a, that's not even a joke anymore. That's a real thing. There is cat TV. There is dog well, TV. Well, I mean, yeah, so, look at the Hallmark Channel now and even Netflix now where it's just like, we're going to pump out so much, so much Christmas stuff where just we'll own Christmas kind of a thing. I, I talked about that with Kyle Turner, too, that I think also, in a way, the people that they're they're playing to are also really responsible for that sort of thing because there's a comfort in repetitiveness Mm -hmm. and and those movies are the same you know it's just you're taking out the the cardboard cutout character and putting in another one and it it, there is a quality kyle turner said something about passive viewing Mm -hmm. and i think that's why a lot of those holiday movies are so popular because there's the people that genuinely love them because there's nothing challenging about them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that love them because they love to hate on them. <laughs> and I sort of can't get into either <laughs> camp. So I yeah. prefer something like this that is actually trying something and, you know, maybe not successful, but at least was attempting to do something that was slightly more interesting than your cookie cutter yeah. Christmas movies. This is also one of those rare movies. Well, actually two points. This, this is a fun little trivia movie because also like it is the only film that features all four Murray acting brothers um, yes. in different roles. Um, which Can is I say his youngest brother is adorable? Yeah, I was like, this I was like this one this one's not the famous one yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yep. anyway yeah his, so his his brother in the film is is one of his real life brothers um one of the guests of the Christmas party uh, the, in in the, the the modern day the ghost of Christmas present Christmas party the one that looks like a beer commercial is another one of his brothers and then Brian Doyle Murray plays his dad in the ghost of Christmas past but this this also is one of those rare instances where like a, a TV edit I think makes something better uh okay. because so at the beginning, we see Frank Cross's version of the, the trailer that he wants to play for Scrooge. And so it's like, you know, um, you know, highway carjackers, like drug addiction, like terrorism. And like, you know, none of this compares to like Scrooge kind of a thing. And and it's kind of like, you know, it zooms in close on his face. Then we play this trailer and everyone kind of like then leaves. And one guy's like kind of breathing heavily and like dabbing his his. And one, one guy like looks kind of nauseous on the TV edit. It zooms in on him when the trailer's about to start playing and then immediately cuts to everyone leaving the boardroom. So it kind of leaves <laughs> it up to your imagination. Like, what did he just show them that they have this kind of visceral reaction? It's actually, I think, makes the joke even better because I, I know they cut it out because especially like when they show when they, it says like terrorism, it shows a plane exploding in post 9-11. That was kind of like, ooh, we're not doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but also just kind of like, it's kind of over the top and sort of tacky. So the fact that it kind of like zooms in on Frank Cross's like ominous face and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, and they're all kind of leaving just like what, what happened in that boardroom? Especially when later you find out that that promo killed, killed a woman. woman. So yeah. the, uh, we're really stressing that by the way, that Frank is a murderer. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it's okay. Cause he's good in the end. No, I, I genuinely had not seen this movie since I was a kid. And so it was great to revisit it. There was so much stuff that I didn't remember in it and i i truly do think that this is a fun christmas movie and doesn't fall into necessarily a lot of the trappings of others is it messy yes mm. and does it not all work mm-hmm. yeah it certainly doesn't i prefer that than something pristine and saccharine and 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 so i you know a for effort a for trying and and sure it's sort of remembered as as not a 
great success, but I, I think it's successful in its own right. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Jim, but thank you so much for coming on the show. I will say at the end of these episodes, I keep, you know, trying to determine what's the one thing I learned from this movie. And so I think that the thing that I truly got in the Christmas spirit of this film is that you can be an asshole, but in the end, it's okay. People still might love you and you can still be an asshole. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm going to give you a moment, That's Jim, right. to plug anything that you want and tell people where they can find you online. Sure. So I, I am, as Gavin mentioned, I am the co-host of the cast of Cthulhu, which I do with James McCormick. It is a podcast dedicated to reviewing both direct and spiritual adaptations of the work of uh, the late H.P. Lovecraft, who, if anyone is wondering, yes, he was a racist and a xenophobe, and we don't, uh, we, we admit that, and that is part of it, so. Um, but, you know, James and I are both, like, horror fans, and uh, being seeing as uh, Lovecraft stuff is in the public domain, there's a lot of adaptations which range from um, pretty good to really terrible, so uh, that's a lot of fun. And then you have uh, films like John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, which is very much influenced by the works of Lovecraft, uh, even though it is not actually a direct adaptation of anything. And relevant to um, this discussion, I don't know when this episode will be going live, but tonight we'll be doing something, uh, a little holiday um, um, little holiday gift to everyone. We are going to do a virtual table read of Guillermo del Toro's unproduced At the Mountains of Madness script um, with a lot of different podcasters and writers and stuff. So we're very much looking forward to that. Um, you can find us at a castofcthulhu.podbean.com or really any place that you get um, your podcast from. We are on Twitter at CastCthulhu and Facebook at uh, CthulhuCast. And, fun fact, if you do a Google search for the cast of Cthulhu, the first to the top Google search result is not our podcast, but the actual cast of a movie called Cthulhu. So, <laughs> but we're on there. I, I do want to say, by the way, uh, Jim did invite me to be part of the table read. Uh, I got the email inviting me to that and then immediately follow up email saying, sorry, I accidentally sent this to you. You're not. Invited. It, it, it's, yeah, it was, like, uh, it was so, like a Charlie Brown Christmas. Like, yes, <laughs> I just I was like, wow, you know, this this is truly the holiday spirit. This is what I expect. Or, I guess more, more actually more like the um, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown where we invite you. But just so that I could uh, draft what a jack-o'-lantern would look like on the back of your head, um, not because yes, I want well, you to be a part of it. Why else would you invite me? <laughs> I actually have one shaved into the back of my head right Yay, now. But uh, it's Halloween all the time, baby. I, I'm, I'm, re I'm reading between the lines of, of um, basically what you just said, Gavin, and how the rest of this month is going. And I'm going to declare myself the winner of Christmas this year, I think. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think not only are you the winner of Christmas, you own all of Christmas. So that's <laughs> you, you've achieved what Bill Murray could not. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much, Jim. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I will be back with just one more episode of Gavin's Holiday Gauntlet. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this The Mixed Reviews special presentation. If you want to contact us, you can always find us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. You can find us on Facebook. Just search The Mixed Reviews. You can always contact us by our email, reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Feel free to check out our Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to the rest of our episodes, subscribe on any major podcast app. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, Audible, Amazon. And if you do listen to us on Apple or Audible, stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write a little review. We'll read it on the show. Once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you're having a happy holiday. <laughs>